Welcome to the Staying Ageless podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be talking about pregnancy again, and specifically fourth trimester wellness. To get this baby-making longevity party started, I'm going to give you guys a few simple tips about the stages and the benefits of breastfeeding, and later we'll be talking with our expert for today, Dr. Lenore Powell. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and rate the show. Go ahead and give us some stars on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to write a review. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. All right. Hey, y'all. Hey. I am very excited to delve deeper into pregnancy today. I am not pregnant, but I feel like I am, y'all, because I'm currently supporting some clients. Shout out to all my prego ladies. And because of this, I have delved deeper into understanding pregnancy and all of the wonderful and surprising things that happen. What has been blowing my mind through this process is how much information women do not get until these life phases happen to us. Like, why isn't there a manual on PMS, women's hormones, pregnancy, menopause? This should all be given to us from like a really young age. (laughs) Seriously, there's way too much that happens to us women that is a huge surprise and that people aren't talking about until you get to that phase of life. So I'm hoping to continue to have conversations with clients and with other practitioners to demystify women's wellness. So today, before we jump into four trimester wellness, which is a very exciting topic, I want to talk about breastfeeding. One of the first questions I ask any client when they begin working with me is if their mother had a vaginal birth or a C-section and if they know if they were breastfed. Unfortunately, many times when a child was not breastfed, there can be health and GI issues that show up later in life. So it is ideal, obviously, to be breastfed, yes. Definitely. I think there's no debates on that, but there are challenges that can be presented um, for women who are trying to breastfeed. So having help from a doula, a midwife, or just other women who've gone through the process of breastfeeding can really help you overcome some obstacles and um, just get right to a solution, especially if you're a new mom. So how does breastfeeding work? Basically around weeks 16 to 22 of pregnancy, the woman's breasts begin to produce colostrum which is incredibly important to sustain the baby in the first three days of life. It's rich in antibodies to fortify the baby's gut. It also will help the baby make his or her first poop. And then after the delivery of the placenta, which is that extra organ that the body grows in pregnancy, yes, the body grows in complete whole entire organ, in case you didn't know, (laughs) the body then rapidly increases prolactin production, which is the hormone that regulates milk supply. So when a baby starts to feed and latches onto a woman's breast, or if you use a pump, um, if a woman is using a pump to, to extract the milk out, what happens is that oxytocin is released. And this is another hormone. This is the bonding hormone, they call it. And this causes a milk ejection reflex and the release of milk from the breast. Now, colostrum, which I mentioned just a moment ago, is the milk that um, the baby will be provided with from birth till around maybe seven days after birth. 
And that's really high in protein and low in fat. And again, has those really important antibodies to help form a really healthy gut. And then transitional milk is from about seven days after birth to about 21 days after birth. That's actually higher in fat and lactose. And it helps the newborn gain the weight that um, they need to gain to sustain life and also regularly eliminate. And then in the final phase of milk production from around 21 days and beyond, it's considered mature milk. And this is going to contain all of the nutrients and antibodies the baby needs to be satisfied and protected. So there are so many different opinions as to how long a woman should breastfeed. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, it's recommended that a woman breastfeeds from birth to at least 12 months and extends it beyond that time frame if the woman and the baby desire. The World Health Organization, on the other hand, recommends that breastfeeding up to two years or beyond. Based on the accounts from a variety of pregnant women, and of course, women who have had challenges, I've personally come to the conclusion that the best time frame to breastfeed for any woman is the longest time frame that feels good to you and your baby. All right, y'all, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we are going to chat with our amazing guest. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of TheRawGirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. Today's guest is Dr. Lenore Powell, who is the founder of Love and Lullabies LLC, a fourth trimester health and wellness blog, and a functional laboratory consultant at Genova Diagnostics. She's a doctor of naturopathic medicine, and she also obtained a master's degree in public health with a concentration in health behavior. Dr. Powell is a contributing author to the revised version of the textbook of natural medicine, the vice president of naturopaths in the state of Georgia, and an active member within her church and local community. Although Dr. Powell's accomplishments within the world of medicine and track field precede her, Her proudest accomplishments revolve around her success as a wife and mother of two amazing children. All right, Dr. Powell, I am so excited to have you on the show today to talk more about pregnancy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I feel privileged. Thank you. So first of all, I want to know how you became or what sparked your journey into becoming a naturopath, because that's not a traditional path. I think more people learning about it but I feel like it's not something that's advertised. Correct. Correct. So what really, um, I guess, initiated my journey is from a child, I always knew that I wanted to help people. I just did not know in which way. And I was looking for 
more natural alternative ways to deal with common problems. Just seeing my family Mm. deal with so many different health issues and seeing how they were being maneuvered or passed off in the traditional medical model. I was just looking for something fresh, for something different Mm. from something that has stood the test of time, basically. Something that has literature backing, that has proof that it works. I was looking for all of that because I came from a chemistry background. So I didn't need the whole proven aspect of it all, but I just needed something different. Wow. I found naturopathic medicine and it really resonated with me in terms of who I am as a person. And I just, I was like, all right, sign me up. What school do I go to? Let's go. (laughs) And how long have you been practicing? 10 years. Wow. Long time. Yeah. Long time. Yes. First of all, let's start with what is the fourth trimester? I thought it was so cool to term it that way because people act like you just, you prepare for pregnancy, you have the baby, and then your life is honky-dory from there. And like, there's no other challenges. (laughs) Mm -mm. The fourth trimester, it's the definition, right? Trimester three uh, has three parts to it. And so it's basically three months from the time the baby is born. That's Mm. the official definition of the fourth trimester. Now, when people also throw around the term postpartum, in my mind, I actually think of those to be different because the word postpartum literally means after birth. You're never going to return to your prior birth state. So I feel that postpartum is something that can last several months to years after the birth of a baby. Oh, okay. Got you. And what sparks your, your initial interest in four trimester wellness? The lack of information. Um, I also have my master's of public health and, you know, I have my naturopathic degree and I thought that my education was just going, it, it gave me everything I needed to be able to bust it out as a mother. And I realized I had a lot of questions and I felt very embarrassed to ask different people. Um, I, I was researching, I just couldn't find anything. And mm-hmm. I just gave up. I was like, forget it. I'm going to drive myself loony. I need to figure out what worked. And so I just literally started picking up the phone and reaching out to any and everybody I knew who had a child. And I started asking questions. And then Mm. all this information started to appear. And I'm like, wait a second. Why is this not common knowledge? Right. So that's what really drove me to kind of, I want to fill in the gap. We're so focused on the baby, which the baby is very important, but what about the caretaker of the baby? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. So good. So what are some of the things that got unveiled in these conversations that were, or, or what were some of the main driving questions that you had that you were asking these people? So the biggest questions really surrounded, um, I would have to say, lactation, Mm-hmm. I think that was a big question or area where I had struggles with. I think the other one was, why is my hair falling out? What do I do mm. about that? The whole thinning of the edges, it wasn't looking cute. I was trying to understand this vaginal bleeding that occurs. Let's be honest, pregnancy is not, I mean, I was not pregnancy, but I would say the delivery is not cute, right? There's right. a lot of fluids. <laughs> involved. Okay. And those fluids don't stop right after the baby is born. 
There still is a period where you still are experiencing vaginal bleeding. And then although I had two emergency C-sections, my womb still carried the baby for nine months. Therefore, I still was dealing with a lot of pressure and perineal, which is kind of like the space between the vaginal opening and the anus, that perineal um, tissue, it was still very fragile. It was like bruised. Even I didn't even have a vaginal delivery and I still was dealing with things like that. I was dealing wow. with hemorrhoids. I was dealing with my skin started doing this thing. I think traditionally they call it cellulite, but I was like, Child. I didn't think skinny people People got cellulite. I was so shocked. Um, I mean, there was just so many different things that shocked me. And then right. even when I went to the dentist, they were like, oh, well, you have inflamed gums that are bleeding. I was like, excuse me? I brush and floss. What are you talking about? I've never had that a day in my life. Right. And all of these things are potential sequelae from after you have had a child and you're dealing with these hormonal fluctuations. Oh my goodness. Child, I'm about to pass out over here. Okay. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Before I start getting into, you know, some of the things that maybe we can do to to resolve these issues, can you break down for people what is happening to a woman's body hormonally post-pregnancy? Absolutely. I think this is such, um, this is a critical, critical question. So during pregnancy, right? You're not, you're growing a baby. Yes. But you're mm-hmm. also growing a whole nother organ called your placenta. Yes. And after you deliver that first 48 hours, you're flooded with endorphins. You know, this is what gives women that natural high after they've had a baby, they're glowy, they're excited. And everybody is just you know, everything is just wonderful. That first 48 hours, your body is flooded with those endorphins. So then you also have this estrogen and progesterone hormone, which are typically known to be like the estrogen, especially that's your female hormone. Um, We usually say it's what makes our breasts, our lips and our hips in females. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that hormone, it actually drops after pregnancy. It mm-hmm. drops to the level of somebody who is almost in menopause. Wow. So you start off with estrogen levels that are higher than normal and that plummet to almost you know, lower than what you're used to. And then progesterone, it can increase up to 200 times um, your normal levels during pregnancy. And the progesterone does the same thing that the estrogen does at, at delivery. It plummets to the level of somebody who is menopausal. And progesterone wow. is kind of like the one that um, the hormone people say it's your happy, your dreamy, your even keeled hormone, your calm and chill hormone. I mean, basically right. these hormones, I mean, for lack of a better word, they go offline. Mm-hmm. And it's important for these hormones to go offline because that's what you know starts the whole idea of I'm now able to produce milk and all this other stuff, but also you have oxytocin and Mm -hmm. oxytocin is like the love hormone, right? So you can get a release of oxytocin after a 30 second hug, after watching pets, after looking at babies. But that one, it is what promotes the attachment and bonding, but it's also responsible for getting the baby out of your body, right? Right, Like kind of, I like to call it um, the eviction notice of your baby, right? Um, (laughs) But also it's responsible for the uterine contractions, for the bonding. Uh, There's another hormone called relaxin that 
it basically relaxes your ligaments. It softens things so that your body can expand with the demands of pregnancy. But what a lot of people don't know is that this same exact hormone actually can cause issues regarding joint stability. Hmm. Right. So, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop being produced until you're done breastfeeding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's a it's a hormone that's produced for quite a bit of time, and it just allows you to have more laxity of your ligaments and joints. So those are kind of the major players um, when it comes to hormones and delivery and what kind of happens. Jeez, Louise. Okay. Um, so when you talk about this, these hormones basically going offline, that's also a part of why our mood, you were just talking about how it's, you know, that's why our mood might, we might end up with, I mean, there's all these different mood disorders, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. Some people just call it the baby blues. Um, do you have any recommendations for, for people who might be struggling with that? I do. So the first thing to understand is um, the baby in the womb and out the womb is what mm-hmm. I refer to as it has more of a parasite property to it in mm. which the baby is going to take what it needs, period, whether you have it or you do not have it. Mm. So you have to ensure that your body is nourished in the proper way. You have to make sure you have adequate amino acids. So during pregnancy, the amino acid or protein demand is about equivalent to a bodybuilder. Same thing with after you deliver and you're lactating, you still have that higher demand for your proteins. You have a higher demand for your essential fatty acids. You Mm -hmm. have like your EPA, DHA, um, a higher demand for vitamin D, even iron. And this is what people forget. They're so focused on taking iron during pregnancy. They forget that oh, I just delivered a baby. So I lost at minimum two cups of blood. Right. So iron is also another nutrient, very important um, to help potentially ward off those types of symptoms of postpartum depression. But we have to make a distinguish, we have to distinguish something really fast. There's a difference between the baby blues or the baby pinks and postpartum depression. Definitely. Okay, so the baby blues it's it's actually extremely common. That's kind of like that sad, moody feeling that you get. It usually resolves in about two weeks. Baby mm-hmm. pinks is the euphoria or the mania after birth that also lasts about two or so weeks. But mm-hmm. postpartum depression prolongs, it's longer than those two weeks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's where you like just lack interest of just kind of dealing with your baby. Right. You, you have sleeping issues. You have eating issues. You're irritable. You feel hopeless. So the other thing that I encourage people to do is at their six-week appointment or checkup, don't be that super mom and try to front for your doctor. Be honest. Mm. Because if you're starting to feel some of those symptoms, your doctor can order appropriate blood work to see, is it really depression? Or is it, for example, your sex hormones are really thrown off? Mm-hmm, or maybe your mm-hmm. stress hormones, like your cortisol is too high. Maybe your thyroid is thrown off. We also see a surge in autoimmune disorders appearing around this postpartum period as well. So maybe something like that kicked in. Or I need to look at your diet. Maybe you're just, you're eating like crap. Mm. So there's a lot. That is a lot. Uh, what about postpartum anxiety? Are there certain nutrients that are um, key for that? 
So actually postpartum anxiety, it's not as common as, or they call it like the baby pinks or whatever. It's actually not as common as the depression. Um, but what I find the most fascinating is that the same nutrients needed for warding off or decreasing chances for depression are mm -hmm. the same ones used for the anxiety because it's okay, all perfect. about balancing your hormones, your neurotransmitters and all these other chemicals going throughout your body. Mm, 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 mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Hmm. And you mentioned that you had um, C-sections. That is a very common these days. And it's, it feels like it adds such an additional, um, just so much additional healing that needs to happen for, um, for a woman who just gave birth. So can you talk to us about that and like some things, precautions and things that people should be considering in order to help themselves heal if they've had a C-section? Absolutely. So um, you have a baby and now inside of you, you have a wound the size of your placenta. Ooh. And then I had major abdominal surgery. Hmm. That's a lot, right? Um, in a C-section for one baby, they estimate that you lose about four cups of blood. Okay, so what, oh gosh, where do I even start? There's so much, there's so much, there's so much. <laughs> um, what I would say is when you're developing your baby plan or your birthing plan, put things into perspective. Your delivery might not turn out the way you planned it. Mm. And it's okay. Just make sure you have things ready just in case. Because, man, I, I had a full plan to do a water birth. Mm. The hospital that I selected had water birthing options. I took all my classes. I was a great candidate. Like, everything was, I was good until literally the <laughs> last week, all mess broke loose when my child did a flip at the last minute. Wow. And was a uh, frank breach. So, I like to use homeopathy. Mm. After I delivered, I used specific homeopathic remedies like Arnica that most people are familiar with to help aid and support my body in healing. I also consulted with, because I don't treat myself, so I also consulted with a colleague who supported me in selecting different botanicals that I could use also to help restore and regenerate everything going on. Mm. In addition, I continued to take my prenatal vitamins, iron, fatty acids, every probiotics, all of that. I continued to take it several, several months past when I delivered. Hmm. I did not, I did not exercise prematurely. I was not lifting heavy things prematurely. I provided myself the grace to heal. Hmm. I ensured that I was eating nutrient dense foods. I ensured that my household environment was prepared. So it was clean. Right. Because you don't want to come home with a newborn baby into a house that's in disarray. Right. Or a house that's not set up to welcome that baby. So those are just a few things that I did. And I guess trial and error, I learned 
over time. Um, the yeah. other thing I think that was really big to my healing is binding my belly. I was actually going to add, that was one of my questions, child. It is. My question, I wanted to know if you were into it and if you had heard I, of it, oh but it sounds gosh. like you if used you it. you are not binding after you've had a baby, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't wow. think that I would have been in the, cause okay. Remember that hormone relaxin I was telling you about? Yeah. And I said, all your ligaments are weak. Okay. So your ab muscles, a lot of people have separation of their ab muscles during pregnancy. It's normal, right. but you're now trying to put everything back together. Think about your uterus, which occupied a little space has now grown to hold, you know, an eight pound baby or whatever, pushed right. all your organs inside your belly around. And now everything is going back, has to quote unquote, back, go back to its right position. If you have a belly support or bind, it helps put that pressure to allow things to go back in the right place. But hmm. it's also a mental reminder that, oh my gosh, I just had surgery. I can't just jump and run and dip and bob and dive for every and anything. Right. The other thing is that binding, it just supported my back better. So when you're breastfeeding, you tend to slump over, mm -hmm. but it helped to support my back. And I've already had back issues because when you're carrying a baby, it just kind of causes a little bit of instability in your, you know, alignment or your center of gravity or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So they have the Bangkung wrap, which is the old traditional Malaysian. I think it's from Malaysia technique where you have this extremely long piece of cloth that you wrap it around in a specific manner. Um, they have ones online that you can get with the Velcro. That's the one that I use. And you can mm -hmm. just, you know, keep adjusting it. But in the hospital, they have these these belts. And so literally after I delivered, I was like, I need you to go get my belt. Oh, wow. you forgot. Next nurse, I need you to go get my belt. I was very adamant about it. Very adamant. I love it. Hmm. I love it. Wow. Awesome. Awesome information. You mentioned that you took some botanicals and homeopathic mm -hmm. remedies. I'm very fascinated when it comes to, and are these, some of these botanicals are herbs, correct? Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, so what, can you tell us about some herbs that can be supportive after pregnancy? I was really fascinated about the, the, you know, the ones you can take leading up to and during, but I, I never really explored what kinds of herbs could be supportive afterwards. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of herbs that can be supportive afterwards. Um, sometimes people will do like stinging nettles, uh, teas, mm -hmm. because uh, there's a lot of herbs that are called or classified as um, nutritive herbs. So they yes. by nature have a lot of minerals and things that you might that you will have an increased need for after you deliver a baby. But there's also things called blue cohosh or cramp bark or partridge berry, even false unicorn, which are known to help support healthy uterine function. And mm. some people even take these the final weeks of pregnancy. But for me, the first pregnancy I had, I didn't get the opportunity to do that because mm. there was just so much up in the air. 
what was happening and how at the last minute, um, my beautiful now three and a half year old daughter, she flipped completely around into what is called Frank breach, which is really not the optimal position for delivery, not impossible, but not optimal. Um, but I also had, you know, meconium and all this other stuff. So um, it was just safer to remove her through a um, surgery. And so me using this product along with all of the, um, the homeopathic remedies and just being very mindful about what I do and not doing too much, I really think that really contributed to my healing um, to the point where for my second emergency C-section with my eight-month-old son, the surgeon was prepping me saying, oh, well, it's going to take a little bit longer this time because we have to go through scar tissue. And when I was in recovery, she looked at me and she said, um, you don't have scar tissue. Wow. Wow. And that's when I knew that all the little things I was doing, it makes a difference. Were there any dietary things you did as well to support healing? So all I did dietary wise was, um, I let my mama into the kitchen and go crazy. <laughs> um, that was what I did the first time. But what I did not really realize is the proteins in milk and dairy, animal dairy, Mm-hmm. the the protein structure of thing of certain foods especially gluten high foods mm-hmm. it actually was not helpful for healing for me nor was it helpful for my first pregnancy because she would break out head to toe with rashes or have projectile vomiting Jeez, and that's... so the sec- so after i learned that of course i removed those foods and all those issues kind of really diminished or went away so mm-hmm. for the second pregnancy I was a little bit smarter. Mm. I started taking advantage of the curbside delivery that some grocery stores have. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that we did frozen meals. One of the frozen meal, uh, actually most of the frozen meals were soups, but especially mm. beef stew. Mm. I needed something that had a lot of iron in it. Mm-hmm. Now that I, you know, now that I'm learning more, <laughs> um, I could have also done uh, bone broths. Yeah. I mean, legumes were very essential and very important. You need to make sure that you're not only restoring your body from the minerals and other things like that, but you also need to make sure you're eating collagen dense foods. Mm-hmm. So that would be um, collagen is um, it's two amino acids put together. Um, and so eating foods that are rich in those amino acids. So for lysine, you need a lot of beans, legumes, even red meat for proline, egg whites, cabbage, mushrooms, and lamb. Mm-hmm. Eating those foods, but you also can get some choline, although debatable, from different bone broths, chicken, fish, shellfish as well. But just making sure you have good amounts of collagen, which is responsible for a lot. Bones, mm. ligaments healing, skin, hair, right. Wow. And then for the second pregnancy, after, you know, I'm learning more and more fresh produce, you Mm. have to have the colorful, the bright and the deep purples and the reds and the blues. You have to have a very colorful, higher fat diet. 
And Mm. because I was breastfeeding, I needed to make sure that my caloric intake was about 300 more calories than normal. And I needed to make sure I was drinking water every second, right? Because when you take breast milk and if you look at it Mm -hmm. and let it separate in the, if you let it separate, Mm -hmm. the amount of fat is so tiny compared to the amount of water. Yeah. Yeah. So you also have to make sure you're hydrated very well. So um, the second go around, I had my little mommy basket. Mm-hmm. And in there was definitely a water bottle so I could remind myself, drink, drink, drink. Well, it's a lot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you, but seriously though, it's, I went through major abdominal surgery and I have the wound the size of, you know, the placenta. There's a yeah. lot that needs to be healed. You know, there's something called the 555 rule. Have you heard of that yet? No, please break this down for me. So the 555 rule, it focuses basically on the mother's recovery and it limits her physical exertion. So for the first 15 days, this is how the rule goes, okay? Mm -hmm. So five days in the bed, five days on the bed, five days by the bed. Hmm. It's on attempts to really encourage physical recovery, right? Different countries have mother-in-laws come in and take care of all household duties, other countries, the person who just had the baby moves in with their mother or grandmother. Yeah, in I mean, I'm Nigerian. Sacred. I'm oh, Nigerian, so yeah. we just literally. My auntie's still waiting. She's like, "It's also just let me know when I can come." <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" But yeah, no, like literally, entire family yes. members will just move in and just take care of, Correct. and even take care of the baby while you're dealing with your recovery. Correct. So I feel like, you know, the American way sounds really just unsupported. I can't It's a little imagine. barbaric. It's barbaric. Yeah. Right? Because mm. you don't even get, um, it's not even a law, quote unquote, that you mm. get paid time off. Jesus. We're the only developed country that has such <laughs> insensitivities surrounding this critical time frame. I mean, the, whenever I think about childbearing, I just want to move to Africa because child, you have, not only do you have your auntie in the household, you got people cleaning your house, you have a driver, you have at least, you know what I mean? At least where my family is and where we grew up. So um, I'm and coming. I know it's not like that for everybody, but child, it's, it's that's the I'm way I'm on my way. It. Okay. Next time, <laughs> next time I become pregnant, I'm going to tell my husband, uh, excuse me, sir, we need to pack up and move. Let's go. <laughs> The thing that's so crazy is that so many, like a lot of African women come to the U.S. to birth their child just to have better health care. And then they will ah, go right back. They go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They go right back right afterwards. Mm-hmm. They're like, bye. That was nice. Thanks. Now I'm going to go be supported with my nanny and my mom and everybody. <laughs> I would have that. That's something I dream of, mm. you know, to have that level of support and care, not have like. You know, especially after the sec, especially after you already have a kid. Yeah, we kept our kid, our oldest daughter, home from daycare with a newborn. So I'm recovering, have a newborn, and a three, and you know, at that time she was like about um, two and a half, mm-hmm. and she was potty training. Wow! So it was a lot. No, that is a lot. I really think that I think that Africa has got it right when it comes to childbearing. Absolutely. Because it's it's a Absolutely. community thing. It really should involve Absolutely. multiple people, <laughs> not just you. It takes a community to raise a child. It, 
Yep. It takes a village. That, that, it really does, though. It really That's does. That's the truth. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like we've touched on so many good things. If you could distill down maybe, and I know this is going to be hard, but if you could distill down like maybe top three to five kind of like focus on these things in fourth trimester, what would they be? Oh, I got you. I got four. You ready? Okay. So you have to prepare for the fourth trimester. You can't mm. let it creep up on you and all of a sudden you're surprised because you know what's coming. You know, a lot <laughs> of people prepare for the baby shower, but you need to be preparing as intensely for your fourth trimester. So the first thing I say is you need to simplify your life. You need to spring clean and stock up. The last thing you want to do is at, you know, 3 a.m. in the morning, realize you ran out of toilet paper. Right. Stock up on all the basics. Next, number two would be to organize and mobilize your mother village. So for mm. you and your culture, Nigeria, that, that's something you don't even have to organize because it's automatically instilled into your culture. Here, yeah. you have to organize who's coming down. You have to organize when am I taking off versus when is my spouse taking off. You have to organize who's going to come and watch any kids or give me a break or help me out with my shopping or deliver meals or help me with cleaning. You, all that has to be organized and ready to start at the drop of a dime as soon as mm. that baby comes. The mm. next one is you need um, certain materials for you and the baby. So as a female, I mentioned you're bleeding a lot, right? Um, yeah. After your baby is born and when you come home from the hospital, you're still bleeding. Um, you might have nipple soreness. You might have perineal tears or sutures. Make sure all the materials to care for all those feminine things it's accessible mm -hmm. in one basket. Mm. Even have a basket ready for lactation with like nipple cream and extra spit up rags and extra breast pads and extra uh, change of clothes even. <laughs> right? right. The last thing would be you need to have a postpartum plan. So who is going to physically support you? Who is going to visit you at what time? Who is not going to visit you? What are you doing for food? What are you doing for entertainment or activities? Your partner, what is your relationship? How are your roles going to shift during that time frame? That would be the four things that I would suggest that people do to help prepare themselves for all the different things that can help in during the fourth trimester. So when it happens, when you're like, oh, I got a hemorrhoid, it's not like, Oh, Amazon.com, what do I do? Or, hey, doctor, what do I do? No, no. In your basket, you already have, you know, something with witch hazel, for example, to help mm. soothe that tissue. Mm, mm. Or when you go, oh, no, my nipples cracked and they're so sore. You already have nipple balm to soothe mm. it. Mm, you, mm. You, got, you got to be prepared. No, that's so, so good. Oh my goodness. I could go on. I want to ask more questions, but I know we got to wrap it up. So we might have to have you on the show again. I really appreciate you. Can you tell my listeners where they can find you online? Absolutely. So there's two ways to access my website, which is about fourth trimester wellness. The first way is through www.loveandlullabies.com. Dot org. Mm -hmm. The second way, which is a little easier, is by www.dr, so Dr. Lenny, L E N N Y P, 
Instagram.com. Awesome. Um, also, you can access me on Instagram. If you type in Dr. Lenny P, it'll bring you right to the website, Love and Lullabies, or to the Instagram page. And so I just got that fired up. So I would love for people to you know, start engaging with me and talking with me. And so I can just help spread more information. But that's awesome. how you get in contact with me. Thank you so much, Dr. Powell. I appreciate you so much. Absolutely. It's been real fun. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to spend a little time to talk to uh, your listeners, which I know you care very much about. (laughs) No problem. It's time to take some questions from Instagram and email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you have to do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs, respond to the call for questions on my profile at The Raw Girl, or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. The question for today is from Lisa via email. She says, Dear Raw Girl, I am pregnant and I have strange cravings for greasy fried food like french fries. I'm a vegetarian and I don't normally eat this way. Is there anything I can do to stop these cravings? (laughs) Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for reaching out, lady. I have never personally experienced pregnancy cravings, but I do have clients who have, and it's always super interesting how those play out. (laughs) One thing I learned from a really awesome book that I highly recommend you get by Erica Chidi Cohen It's called Nurture, A Modern Guide to Pregnancy, Birth, and Early Motherhood. And this was a book that was actually recommended by a past guest on the show, um, the amazing doula. And this book says that cravings can actually be translated into what your body wants nutritionally. And this is something I tell my clients all the time, whether or not they're pregnant. But for example, a lot of women crave chocolate around their period, and it actually is usually because they need more magnesium. Sweets can in pregnancy can be a craving for more chromium or sulfur, sometimes even potassium. And in your case, fatty, oily foods can actually be a sign that your body needs more calcium. And calcium is especially important in the second trimester when your baby's bones are being formed. And you can increase your calcium intake by consuming adequate amounts of legumes, dark leafy greens, getting in a, a good dark leafy green salad that has six to eight cups of greens in it per day will give you a nice amount of magnesium, potassium, and calcium. And then some other foods you can add in are like things like coconut yogurt, um, nettles tea, which is really amazing nutritionally, bok choy, broccoli, and sardines. Yeah, so basically when you think about cravings, always think about translating there's what you think you want and there's what your body actually needs. So see if it's possible for you to give your body what it actually needs and if that craving then subsides. All right, lady, I hope this helps you. All right, it's time to close out the show. Hopefully this show has given you more useful information about pregnancy if you are pregnant or if you're preparing for pregnancy or know someone who is. If you know someone who is pregnant, do share the love and pass on this episode. Remember, pregnancy preparation is key. If you are prego or thinking about it, I encourage you to prepare as much as possible or get a team together, practitioners that can help make your birthing process easier, which can include a doula, a midwife, your doctor, a nutritionist, or all of the above. 
If you can't afford to put together an extensive team, don't worry. There are a ton of resources and books out there to help you along your journey. And don't forget to lean on other women who've already gone through the process. Today's clothing quote is for all of the pregnant women out there from an unknown author. You are pregnant and you are powerful. You are bold and you are beautiful. Go forward in your boldness, in your beauty, and in your contentedness. Trust your body to birth and know that the collective power of women worldwide will be with you. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you are looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at the raw girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit stayingagelessshow.com.